0: faculty and alumni taking small steps toward their giant leaps and inspiring others to do the same.
1: Without Purdue, none of this would have been possible. I mean that very sincerely, it would not have been possible. And so, to be participating in Purdue Aviation and giving back to a program that really set me up for success is where I want to spend my time. That and then K-12 education and making sure that kids have a purpose when they come out.
0: In this episode of This is Purdue, we're highlighting one of the many exceptional and unique programs at Purdue, the School of Aviation and Transportation Technology. And we're also highlighting one of our many exceptional and unique alums, Scott Neiswanger. Scott is a Purdue Aviation Technology graduate, pilot, and businessman, and he is also a community leader and philanthropist we had the opportunity to talk to Scott at the annual President's Council Weekend in Naples in February, and his passion for aviation and humanitarian efforts truly shined. After graduating from Purdue in 1968, Scott founded both Land Air Transport Incorporated and Forward Air Corporation, which he says would not have been possible without his foundational education at Purdue. You'll also hear Scott discuss the Neiswanger Foundation, which he established in 2001, to make a positive and sustainable difference in education in Northeast Tennessee. But we'll start at the beginning. Scott, who grew up in Ohio, tells us how he discovered Purdue and
2: why he had his sights set on coming here. So tell us about your journey at Purdue. You're from Van Wert, Ohio. Yes. How did you find out about Purdue? What was your Farm
1: boy from Van Wert. (laughs) Well, I knew from the time I was a little kid that I wanted to be a pilot and went through building model airplanes and remote control airplanes and was able to solo at the local airport on my 16th birthday and get my private license on my 17th birthday, which is the youngest you could do that. And Purdue at the time was the only school in the country that had a four-year degree in aviation technology. And they were the only university in the world to have a supplemental or a charter airline. And so all the team sports were carried on Purdue airplanes. And that was part of the training program at the the university level. The first year was traditional courses, math and science and English and speech and all of that. But then everything else was at the airport And you were being trained at the airline to be a co-pilot on, back then, I'm going to date myself, 1968, (laughs) DC-3s, which exist primarily in museums these days, had four-engine DC-6s. And then the year I graduated, unfortunately for me, they moved to a jet fleet of DC-9s. And those were all passenger airplanes. team sports and military called camps, civil air movements for the military. It was an awesome program. And again, there wasn't anything like it in the world. It certainly was by the grace of God that I was accepted to Purdue. It wasn't my transcript in high school because I was always looking out the window in high school, wanting to be at the airport. Uh, You know, one size does not fit all in education. I spent a lot of time at K through 12 with our foundation trying to improve public education in my found home of Tennessee, Greenville, Tennessee. But the experience at Purdue was just absolutely amazing. And again, it was one of a kind. It was a preeminent program in the world, and it's still a pretty good program.
0: (laughs) It sure is. Throughout our conversation, I could tell Scott was enjoying reflecting on his college years. I asked him about a favorite story from his time at Purdue, which involves a bit of a white lie to his roommate. And Scott also shares a story with us about a professor who literally changed his trajectory when he was just a homesick 18-year-old.
1: I'm not sure I should tell this one because (laughs) it is the first one that came to mind. (laughs) So in the summertime, we would take the DC-3s and... They had lined up charters all summer long from Minneapolis to take fishermen, sportsmen, up into almost the edge of the Arctic Circle, way up into Canada, a place called Reindeer Lake that had a 3,000-foot gravel strip. And a DC-3 with 24 passengers could land on that gravel strip. Well, I was one of the first ones to go from my class up there, and you did it two weeks at a time, and it was wonderful. It was wonderful. The fishing was great, and it didn't hurt that the lodge was staffed by co-eds from the University of Saskatchewan. So when I got up there and kind of fell in love with it, (laughs) I came back and I I told my roommate, I'm like, man, you do not want to go up there. The mosquitoes will carry you out of that place. You really don't want to go. And so I talked him in to not taking that rotation so I could go back (laughs) and uh, continue my flying experience and maybe other experiences as well. (laughs) Certainly fish. I'm sorry. That's the first one that came to mind. You got
2: to go with your gut. (laughs) Share that one. So do you have any professors or mentors within your time at Purdue that you really look up to?
1: Yes. yeah, I'm so glad you asked me that question. The chairman of the Professional Pilot Technology Program was a wonderful man by the name of Charles Holliman, Charlie Professor Holliman. And I'd been there the first semester and there were only like 16 in my class. So we got to know him very well. And I was homesick, girlfriend was in Ohio, here I am, 18 years old at Purdue, which was a big campus then, but only half as big as it is today. It felt really big to me then. And um, I wanted to go off, and I told him that. And so we sat down in his office one evening, and he convinced me that I needed to stay and see this program through. And because of him, I stayed with this program that, in retrospect, was absolutely an elite program. And I'm so thankful for him. And he, at, I believe, 91 or 92 this past fall, was inducted into the Indiana Aviation Hall of Fame. And I got to go to that event and, once again, thank him for everything that he had meant to me. Without him, I would not have continued the program. But that wasn't uncommon then for professors to be that close and that helpful and very interested in their student. And that continues today, regardless of the number of students. Purdue is exceptional because of the staff and faculty that they have there in caring for the student.
0: But what would have happened if Professor Holloman and Scott's paths had never crossed? What if Professor Holloman hadn't convinced Scott to stick around at Purdue? Well, first you need to know the history of Purdue Aviation. Purdue University Airport in West Lafayette was the very first university-owned airport in the United States. While Scott was at Purdue, Purdue Airlines Incorporated was formed, operating from the Purdue University Airport. This airline was one of 13 supplemental air carriers in the United States. Today, Purdue University's School of Aviation and Transportation Technology is one of six departments and schools in the Purdue Polytechnic Institute and remains recognized worldwide as a leader in aviation education. Scott discusses the impact that this hands-on Purdue curriculum, working on these supplemental air carriers, had on his career after graduation.
2: What would you say, you know, if you hadn't followed through with Purdue and had gone back to Ohio, you know, there's all these things that, Aligned, right, and, and yeah. happened after you graduated.
1: Well, I need to continue a little bit of the first, I guess, the first question. But because they were in supplemental airline, your curriculum was really applied science in every sense of the word. You got to work in operations of the airline. You got to work in weather. You got to work in dispatch. I got to see all of that. And I'll bring you back. Then I'll, I'll tie that one off in a minute. But had it not been for the Purdue education, I'd have been a very happy pilot for some corporation or some airline for the balance of my life from that point forward. But because of that experience that I just told you about, after I had accepted a job with the Magnavox company flying a corporate airplane that was based in Tennessee, they asked me to start a freight service with a small freighter. And that led to the creation of a cargo airline with big airplanes called General Aviation. And we had 38 big airplanes flying every night in scheduled service. But had it not been for Purdue and the experience of everything I learned through that airline, I would never have known how to get started and start my own cargo airline. So that was kind of a one-off that was able to happen. We sold that to a public company, the Cargo Airline, about 10 years in, just as trucking was deregulated. And when trucking was deregulated, that meant you could move multiple types of cargo commodities between any two city pairs. Before that, it was very, very, very regulated. And so a lot of those small routes from Charlotte to Indianapolis to Chicago, we could take trucks and make that same service overnight. And that began a company called Landair, which we took public. Forever changed my life on, um, let's see, the week before Thanksgiving, 1993. And then in 98, we took the second company that just did air cargo for the major airlines of the world, over 100 of the airlines of the world, moving the freight from a gateway to the interior of the United States, called that Deliver America. We took Forward Air public. So from that very humble beginning, where we put $2,500 into a bank account to pay for the gas for the first truck, we took those public, and today the sales are about of those two companies, about $2.2
0: So Purdue truly paved the way for Scott. And it's also impressive to note that these two companies were the first two Greenville-based companies to be taken public in the history of Greene County, Tennessee. It's not always common for someone to know exactly what they want to do with their life at a young age. But Scott knew. He knew he loved airplanes, and he knew he was destined to be a pilot.
2: When you look back, too, it's it's really unique that you've wanted to be a pilot since you were a little...
1: Yeah, so about 12 years old and um, riding the tricycle in your hometown <laughs> was in the flight path, Fort Wayne, Bearfield, was in the flight path right over my home. And I'd see those airplanes letting down, and I want to do that. So I start building model airplanes. Then my aunt gave me, for my 12th birthday... to go to the airport, take uh, an introductory ride. Well, back then it was just five or six bucks (laughs) (laughs) in a little two-seater, a rocket champ. I did that and that was it. (laughs) I knew for sure that's what I wanted to do. My mom always, if she couldn't find me, she just called the airport because she knew that's where I was. And I'd wash airplanes, wax airplanes, sweep the floor, anything, to get the next flying lesson. So I had a scads of time. Back then, you'd have 40 hours to get a private license. I don't know how much time I had because I'd worked (laughs) at the airport, but um, was able to get that solo on my 16th birthday. And then, as I said, got my private. And i have been telling this story for so long, I told one of my classmates, Jim Rice, who lives in Dallas and went through the program went to Magna Box, went into the Air Force in an Air Guard unit in Fort Wayne, where his father had flown, and became the chief pilot of Southwest Airlines and retired just a few years ago. I said, Jim, I've been telling this story about soloing on my 16th birthday, my private on the 17th, and I got weathered out on my 18th birthday to get my commercial for so long. I'm not sure it's true. <laughs> and so... I found my original logbook, and I was uh, relieved to find out the story I'd been telling for 50, 60 years is in fact true.
2: (laughs) Was that really helpful for you to have that before you got to Purdue? Were your classmates kind of intimidated?
1: No. In professional pilot technology, I believe you had to come with a commercial license or get it in the first year you were there. And that was part of that program. And then about that same time, they then began taking, we call it zero to hero, young people with no flight experience at all, and take them all the way through what I just described to you at the university, then in a four-year program.
0: Okay, I certainly can't imagine flying a plane, let alone flying solo on my 16th birthday. As you've heard, aviation is part of Scott's identity but he is also a philanthropist and leader within the Greenville, Tennessee community. He moved to Tennessee after graduating from Purdue as the corporate pilot for the president of the Magnavox company, as he previously mentioned. But what Scott has done for the Greenville community, a small town that sits at the foothills of the Smoky Mountains, well, that's an incredible story within itself. With the success of Scott's two companies, the philosophy of learn, earn, return was created. Using the innovative model of having a private, for-profit logistics company, Landair Transport, support a not-for-profit educational foundation, the goal of bringing rigorous, relevant, and cost-effective programs to public education became a mission. Within the Nicewanger Foundation, there has been a clear focus on removing constraints to educational innovation and problem-solving, allowing local school systems to better provide for student needs. By building school programs that are research-based and sustainable, the Nicewanger Foundation has become a recognized voice for educational reform in the state of Tennessee, all while nurturing the next generation of leaders.
1: We converted land air to a more philanthropic endeavor where the free cash flow from land air we were able to create in this belt of Appalachia, Greenville, Tennessee, where I live, which borders western North Carolina, eastern Kentucky in Southwest Virginia, go into these rural, very small public schools and put in math and science programs. And this has grown now. That has enabled us to, we're in over 500 high schools. We're in every high school in Tennessee teaching online AP STEM coursework, 19 of them. You can actually get college credits for all of those if you score high enough. So the foundation is now in every public high school in the state of Tennessee. And this creation of these companies enable that to happen. And I'm still sitting on the board of Forward Air, which is based in this little town and 250 or 300 corporate employees. And Land Air has 150 corporate employees. And that makes a difference. It doesn't make a difference in a city like Indianapolis or Chicago or Atlanta. But those kinds of jobs in a town of 20,000 people really make a difference. And so if it all ends today, it's been a beautiful ride. None of it would have been possible without Purdue University. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart.
2: You talked about bringing STEM courses to these public schools in rural areas. Why was that so important for you? Did you have that type of coursework in Ohio, for example, before you got to Purdue?
1: That's a great question. The first place I saw online coursework was at Purdue University. And this would have been over 20 years ago. the foundation is just 20 years old this past year. And there was a class, a technology class, working with online, lifetime, with a class in Stuttgart, Germany. And I'm like, wow, that's really the future of how you can deliver Excellent coursework at a very affordable price. And when you're representing in, in our region, we have one high school called Clinch on the Kentucky-Tennessee border that has just 53 to 56 students a year in the entire high school. They're too far to bus to a mega school. And so through online learning, they have a number of AP courses available to them. We put math and science labs in, so they have the ability now to go on to higher education and have had the same sort of rigorous coursework that you might have in a high school with 1,200 people that can afford the on-site teacher.
0: Now, Nicewanger Foundation's Nicewanger Online offers 63 fully online courses to Tennessee students. Talk about making giant leaps. Scott and the Nicewanger Foundation supports numerous programs and partnerships with school districts in Northeast Tennessee and has invested nearly $70 million into the region. I asked Scott what his experience at Purdue, combined with his philanthropic efforts, means to his family.
1: I'm trying to give it back. I tell my children (laughs) that I don't want to deprive them of understanding the joy of working for a living. And the self-esteem that that will bring to them by doing their own thing we have four children and three of them are in education and teachers you can't take it with you and so without purdue none of this would have been possible i mean that very sincerely it would not have been possible and so to be participating in purdue aviation and giving back to the program that really Set me up for success is where I want to spend my time. That and then K through 12 education and making sure that that kids have a purpose when they come out.
2: Yeah. Do you have any stories to expand on that of of a student who, you know, went through because of your program and is now a pilot or an engineer or any type of STEM-related career?
1: I have 101 (laughs) stories. Of We have a, 101 scholars that have either completed the program, I guess we have maybe 20 that are in universities now across the country that have been wildly successful. And it isn't about what they make. It's about having the heart and the passion for what they want to do. We've had a lot of great educators We've got a lot of great doctors that have come out. The head of the radiology department who did an MRI on me last year. This was really full circle. Right. To have him, the head of radiology, as one of our scholarship students. But it's more than the money. It's a leadership training program where each summer... We have the kids for two weeks, and we bring in leaders, business, education, government to meet with them. As a matter of fact, we have Mitch Daniels coming this summer, talk to the the alums, we'll come back for that, and the ones in the current program talk about politics and what he has seen as governor. So... It's a leadership training program as much as anything. The capstone of that is the last thing I want these young people to see is Normandy. So we take our plane and we go from Little Greenville, Tennessee, seven hours and 25 minutes later, they wake up and we're in London, England. <laughs> we do the Churchill Bunker. We do everything. We spend a couple of, of days there and nights channeled to Paris, spent a night there. But the rest of the time, we're out in the farms of Normandy. And we have a guide that we've worked with for years that lives there to tell them about the World War II experience. And they're not being taught that today. And when you see these young people for the first time look at over 10,000 graves, with young people who are younger, most of them younger than they are, laying there in the field, it's impactful. That freedom is not free, and they're not learning much about that. So we give them a little Ohio flag, represent where I grew up, and a Tennessee flag, pencil and tracing pad. We say, now go find someone from Tennessee on those markers, and someone from Ohio. And they'll trace the names and everything. And with today's internet capabilities, then we have them look up who these young people were, where they were from, its impact. But they learn the responsibility and what it took from those that have gone before them, for them to be able to enjoy today's freedom.
0: As if making a difference in the lives of thousands of students in Tennessee wasn't enough when it comes to giving back to his community, Scott is also the lead benefactor for the Nicewanger Children's Hospital, which is home to one of only eight St. Jude affiliate clinics in the world. As you'll hear, this story is especially close to Scott's heart.
1: Oh, gosh, you're going to make me emotional <laughs> at this point. So part of our foundation work, Nicewanger Foundation, is also taking young people from that region who have expressed an interest in getting higher ed, returning in some specialty, and we'll send them to the best school in America. We've had three of them at Purdue, I might add. more? But one of those that we had accepted was diagnosed with cancer and had to go to St. Jude's Hospital in Memphis. Family was forever split up because of that. The mom had to quit her job. They lived in a Ronald McDonald house in Memphis for almost 17 months. And the good news is child's cancer free to this day. But I was saying to our director of the foundation at the time, Buzz, how can we get better health care for the people, the children of our region? If you drew a hundred mile circle around there, you'd have over a million people. And I've forgotten how many tens of thousands of children, obviously. And so I just called the local hospital and they said, you know, we've been trying to build a freestanding children's hospital, but we just, we can't fund it. So in conjunction with East Tennessee State University, where there are several Purdue people, I might add on faculty, they have a medical center and a pharmacy school. And so in conjunction with them, I said, I'll build the hospital for our children if we can get a St. Jude's clinic. And at that time, there were six or seven. There may be seven or eight or nine today. So they said, Ma, we're not sure that's possible because we're on this end of Tennessee. St. Jude's is on the other end of Tennessee. So I went to a man by the name of Bill Evans, who was at the time, he's still at St. Jude's as far as I know, but uh, he was the CEF. Again, because the mothership is in Memphis, the other end of Tennessee. He didn't think that that would work. But uh, I guess a God moment occurred here. And I explained to him that if you turn Tennessee north and south, we're 30 miles closer in eastern Tennessee. We're 30 miles closer to Windsor, Ontario, Canada than we are Memphis. It's 500 miles to Memphis. And he took note of that. And I just asked him to then take it to his board and as did several other people involved from ETSU. And long story short, the God moment occurred that Bill called and said, we're going to do this. We are going to put the 7th Affiliate Clinic of St. Jude's in eastern Tennessee. And so today, our children, and the one other thing I said to Bill was, what I really like for you to consider and your board to consider is that the children of eastern Tennessee, western North Carolina, eastern Kentucky, southwestern Virginia can have the same health care as the children in Memphis. And so it happened and we're getting ready to double, that was 10 or 12 years ago, we're getting ready to double the size of the children's hospital this fall.
2: What did you feel like when you got that phone call?
1: (laughs) I think you may have just noticed my expression, and it was a lot like that. It was uh, a divine moment, to say the least, that was going to occur, and that began that project right then.
0: I've heard a lot of Boilermaker stories on this podcast, but seeing Scott's emotion with this one was extra special for our team. Scott is involved in numerous boards and committees, and he serves as chairman emeritus of Land Air Transport Incorporated and Forward Air Corporation. But education is also something that he really focuses on. He is the chairman of the East Tennessee State University Board of Trustees and a 30-year trustee of Tusculum University. He's also a member of the Purdue's President's Council, Dean's Council for Purdue University Polytechnic Institute, and board member for the Purdue Research Foundation. Scott shares why he continues to support
2: and stay actively involved with his alma mater. Why is it important to you to stay so involved with Purdue and with the aviation program?
1: Well, first of all, I love aviation.
2: (laughs) I can't tell.
1: (laughs) No, I know. I know. I'll try not to hide it. To just be around the young people, you know, I was once there. And so to any extent that I can help them overcome some. Possible mistakes or things I would have done differently just to be around them. It just keeps me young. It keeps me invigorated. I don't ever want to stop. We have, in my opinion, the best leader in higher education in certainly in the country, the world, (laughs) the world. And everything Purdue does is done well or they won't do it. And the other activity I have fortunate enough to participate in at Purdue is the Purdue Research Foundation, which has 25 startup companies coming out of the university. Every year have created thousands of jobs for Indiana kids and kids all over the world. But being able to participate in that is truly an honor for me. Having tried to learn as much as I could in my region at ETSU, East Tennessee State University, we have created the ETSU Research Corporation. Well, as you might imagine, it pretty much mirrors a university about 350 miles to the northwest. And so I've been able to bring a lot of the things that I've been continuing education. You have four years, you're not done. That's just the beginning. And so that my continuing education is through working with wonderful board members, Brian Elliman, wonderful leadership, Dan Hassler before him, leading that program that is just world-class. So I've taken a few of those things, a few of my notes back to Tennessee and say, here's what we need to do to create 21st century jobs in our region. We suffered heavily. At NAFTA. When NAFTA occurred, Ross Perot was right when he said that giant sucking sound you hear will be jobs moving to Mexico. Well, that was the first step. And then to Asia, we lost all the Magnavox had 3,200 employees in a town of 10,000 people. So labor was important. We had a half a dozen furniture companies, Asia. We lost all of that. We were uh, the largest dairy-producing county in Greene County, of Tennessee, in, uh, in Tennessee. That all disappeared to mega farms in Ohio. A lot of our milk comes uh, on the store shelf, comes from Texas, and one dairy in Chattanooga. But we went from 110 small dairy farms, which made great employees for all the manufacturing base, to now we're down to under 10 dairies in this lush green county of 600 square miles right at the foot of the mountains. Being able to go from 20% unemployment through having great leadership of my companies that allowed me to spend a lot of time in economic development. It's made a difference where we're about the national average run of unemployment now, but the type of jobs we had to completely retool for something that wasn't just assembly work. And now we're really focused with the additions to the hospital and the medical school at ETSU to medical devices, startups, research docs, bringing them to the region. It'll take a couple of decades, but we're changing those jobs to very high technology jobs within Mm -hmm. the region. Again, I go back to Purdue. I saw it there. And I see it every time I go to a PRF board meeting. And I remember what really worked. And I take it back home and we apply it to rural East Tennessee.
2: What did, you've done so much for that area. You've really impacted a lot of families, I'm sure. What does that mean to you?
1: Well, having seen this and what can be led me to how can I help? Whether helping city government in a redevelopment project of our downtown, being able to contribute to the medical facilities there. And our school system, there are 146 school systems in Tennessee. And Greenville City Schools is either, depending on the year, one, two, or three in the state of Tennessee. And one year, very recently, they actually beat Oak Ridge. Well, Oak Ridge schools, that area has more PhDs per capita In any county in America, because of the Oak Ridge National Labs. And so to see our school systems being lifted up, our kids having the rigorous coursework it takes to be successful at higher education has been tremendously rewarding for me. And the community has been accepting of that. It's just been a wonderful place to live and work and raise our family.
0: It's been a theme this entire episode, but Scott really does tie every wonderful
2: thing he's done for his community back to Purdue. I can tell how much you love Purdue. What does being part of this community and this family mean to you?
1: It's something that I'll take with me forever. And for the university to allow me to continue to be involved, it's just amazing. And, and things that we're accomplishing up there again, and who knows, we made uh Like the movie title, Back to the Future, maybe we can get back to the future where we've got bigger aircraft that can move the teams around and do that internally. And like my class, get the experience of actual learning or applied science and how an airline works.
0: Purdue has meant so much to him throughout the years, and some of Scott's family has also followed in his footsteps. And he's currently trying to convince grandson number three to come to Purdue.
1: I'm trying to get grandson number three. I've had two grandsons that went through the sales and and marketing major at Purdue who are doing pretty good. And so I'm trying to get number three of eight. I hope I'm here to see all of them. A couple of them are pretty small. I'm going to take him to the Indiana game and get him in there and see if he can't catch the boiler-up spirits
2: (laughs) I think it's the perfect game to take him to to
1: expose It's the the one where it would be the craziest. And I think he'll enjoy
0: that. Scott Niswanger embodies Boilermaker spirit and innovation. Whether it's creating jobs and employing more than 9,000 people in a small rural area of Tennessee or changing lives with the Nicewanger Foundation, his persistent pursuit is building a better world. If you'd like to learn more about the Nicewanger Foundation, please visit NicewangerFoundation.org. That's N-I-S-W-O-N-G-E-R, foundation.org. And if you'd like to watch Scott's full conversation with me in Naples, Florida, just head over to youtube.com slash Purdue. Thanks for listening to This is Purdue. For more information on this episode, visit our website at purdue.edu slash podcast. There you can head over to your favorite podcast app to subscribe and leave us a review. And as always, boiler up.